Welcome back from the All-Star break. Good to see 12 teams back in action tonight. Not going to talk too much about those games, although we'll hit it a little bit as we go through some of the news that's accumulated. But since we last recorded it, the buyout market has begun to come into sharper focus so what are some of the bigger ones there, Danny? To me, the two big ones, one of which we discussed on our final episode before we took a break, was Wes Matthews going to the Pacers. His shooting guard compatriot, Wayne Ellington, was bought out by the Suns and joined the Detroit Pistons. I see those as parallel moves because both players, who are, of course, pending free agents, chose to go to opportunities of teams that have lots of playing time, teams that potentially have starting spots available for them. And that is a completely justifiable rationale. I'm not going to quibble with it at all. And it gives them an opportunity to really rebuild their value. You know, Ellington had way more of a lost season than Wes Matthews, but both of those guys now have an ability to be bigger fish in comparatively smaller ponds. And that has an impact on the title picture because teams like Philly need that kind of depth and there aren't that many Wayne Ellingtons around. Yeah, and I think it's quite telling that those are really the only two teams that could have offered starting spots on playoff or playoff potential type of teams. Wes Matthews in particular, it seemed like Philly was going to be a potential leader for his services. Turned out not to be the case. And the market looking a little bit sparse now for the Sixers. That's something we'll talk about later as we kind of go into our reset of the rest of the season. Another one that really surprised me was Markeith Morris in Oklahoma City. That didn't really follow the same structure as Ellington and Matthews because OKC really has a lot at power forward already. And talk is that Morris has been practicing, that he could be back even as early as Friday. And Chalk this up really for the Thunder organization. They've done well on this bargain signing market, much as they did with Nerlens Noel, where he didn't really have a path to a ton of playing time, but just because it was the Thunder, it seems like, for guys who perhaps there's a thought that they need to rehab their reputation. How does Marquee fit in with this OKC team? What I found surprising, man, I guess you could say disappointing to a certain extent from this, is that Morris, to me, looked best on the Wizards this year, playing backup five, and when Nerlens Noel is healthy, and you know, he did have that concussion and scary, scary fall earlier in the year, but it seems like he's back from that. OKC's pretty well handled. Steven Adams has been remarkably durable over the course of his career. Noel, when he can play, is there. And so that means Morris will be playing more power forward than center. And there he's, you know, I mean, Jeremy Grant is well established as the starting four. And then you're, you know, sliding around Patrick Patterson's an option. And I don't particularly love OKC's backup forwards overall, but it's weird with Morris because you can't really slide him or Patterson to the three. So you get another forward, but you don't get a forward that can necessarily play alongside the other. So good to have another option a great you know okc for them to get another depth piece you know somebody who is better than some of the other guys that are in their not necessarily in the rotation though i think he is that but on their 15-man roster i think that's a more important way of thinking about it just another guy who can be there for that and morris you know he can provide spacing he he can be he has been an impact player on successful teams in the very recent past yeah the initial reports from chris haynes indicated that Toronto, the Lakers, and Rockets were all interested in Markeith Morris. I guess you wouldn't say that any of those teams have a more clear path to playing time than what OKC offers. 
Morris, you would think that his biggest role, if he can return to the same form that he had as recently as the 2017 playoffs, you remember he sprained his ankle early in that series against Boston, made a heroic return as they pushed Boston to seven games in that series, that he was an impact player. You would have thought that coming into his free agent year, he's going to have a good year, but who knows how long this neck injury has been bothering him, but good to hear that he's going to be ready to go. In theory, the Wizards have tried to use him in the past as a featured part of the second unit. It didn't really work that well. Now that OKC has gone away from just Dennis Schroeder as the only scorer on the second unit, keeping one of Westbrook or George on the floor pretty much all the time, their bench problems have stabilized a little bit. But Morris also hasn't really worked that well as just a spot-up guy. He's had some moments on defense in the past, but hasn't been that consistent there. So he's, at times in his career, been a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. I do think he could be an effective player. It would be interesting to see whether he is an upgrade over Patrick Patterson, who is disappointed in his OKC career, but operates more as a pure floor spacer. You would imagine that Morris will certainly get first crack at those backup for minutes the, the question becomes whether it would be prudent to ha- play him over Jeremy Grant I don't think that that would be the case I think while Morris is probably still more of an outside threat than Grant is Grant provides athleticism fast break ability and obviously defense that Morris is not really capable at this point in time another buyout player Ennis Canner left the Knicks basically at the deadline you know I think that that agreement happened within a few hours and he ended up signing with Portland Portland is not exactly center poor you know they have Nurkic they have Myers Leonard and just can go in a lot of other directions Zach Collins Zach Collins one to me I mean do you think he's gonna be better than Collins has been for them I think there will be games where where Canner is but I don't particularly like the two of those guys playing together and I mean we saw it I, I cracked up because Portland first game with Kanner was against the Brooklyn Nets, a team that is very, very familiar with Ennis Kanner. And immediately they went after him in high pick and roll. And Kanner did make some hay on the offensive boards and on some post-ups, posting up, incidentally, former Blazer Ed Davis. So, I mean, I think there'll be there'll be nights when he adds something, there'll be nights when he takes something away. But I mean, you drafted Zach Collins, you're a pretty sure playoff team. I, I, I don't, you know, it's a minimum salary guy. It does add to their luxury tax bill. So I guess there is that opportunity cost with him. The other thing that I thought was so bizarre with Cantor was it's now been reported a couple of separate times that the runner up in the Cantor buyout sweepstakes was the Lakers, a team that really doesn't need Ennis Cantor. They have a ton of different centers. I, I don't think they they made sense for them to get Mascala as, you know, I, the theory of Mascala maybe, but he's just not that good. And it the it's another kind of, it's a very small thing, but it's another kind of lingering in the back of my mind of like, do Magic and Planka really have a clear cut vision of what makes sense with this Lakers team? You don't want me to answer that, do you? I meant it more as a rhetorical question, <laughs> but, but you can do whatever the hell you want. Well, so the Blazers certainly have had some interesting second units, Collins and Myers Leonard playing together remains to be seen who Cantor's minutes will come at the expense of tonight. Cantor, 20 minutes, 8 of 9 from the field, 18 points, 5 offensive rebounds, negative 3. Well, and it's worth and, noting that both both Collins and Myers Leonard didn't play. Yeah, and so they've gone with Jake Lehman as the backup four and Cantor at the five. They've also got Rodney Hood. Lehman hadn't been playing much, uh, but he's come around. Also interesting that Mo Harkless uh, managed 29 minutes uh, as the starter 
tonight. There's been a thought that maybe the acquisition of Canner might push him to lower minutes. Uh, that's not the case at all. So Zach Collins not playing at all. Myers Leonard not playing at all. Scal not playing at all. Okay, that's that's maybe a little bit less foreseen. Also, something to watch, Evan Turner only eight minutes in this one, although he did play poorly at, at 0 for 5. So how this Blazers bench unit plays out both for the regular season, which I think would be interesting. I mean, I think Cantor does feel a need there because they really were scoring challenged on that second unit. Now they've got Hood, they've got Cantor. Layman, I think to me, it provides more athleticism and defense and maybe even more shooting than either Collins or Leonard. But to have a guy you drafted number 10 overall last year, there was talk that he was going to be taking Yusuf Nurkic's minutes at the start of the year, even close some games over Nurkic early in the year to now have him out of the rotation. Yeah, they may score a little bit better as a bench, but Ennis Cantor, I mean, we've seen what's happened to him in the playoffs. I mean, what playoff teams is he going to be able to play against? I think the Spurs, he could be fine against. We saw him be very effective against the Spurs uh, now three years ago for OKC. I don't know that we're going to see Portland match up with the Spurs, but certainly the better teams in the West, Denver, Houston, Golden State, you would imagine that we'll see Portland match up with one of those teams in the first round, and then we'll be right back to can't play him. Finally, worth noting too, of course, that it was Neil O'Shea and Portland who put OKC in such a pickle after they'd given up a first round pick to trade for Cantor in 2015, that summer of 2015. O'Shea actually gave Cantor this contract that ended up being such a bad value that he got bought out of it and opted into that player option. But clearly, whether that was gamesmanship by O'Shea or not, you know, you'll recall that summer the Blazers were looking like they were going to be in a total rebuild around the letter. Aldridge had left, Matthews had left, and that they knew in theory that OKC was going to match everyone knew the cap was going up the following year and people wondered oh, are they just trying to mess with OKC maybe there was that was a component of it to give them that max offer sheet at the time that everyone thought oh well the cap's going up so it won't be that bad once the cap goes up but clearly O'Shea uh, had some sort of an affinity for Cantor because he did of course end up in Portland the last of the big buyout guys that we have to talk about is is an even more significant story than it was when we first saw it. And that was not only that Jeremy Lin did get bought out after the previous reporting that the Hawks were not anticipating doing it, but that he went to the Toronto Raptors. And we got a little bit more context of how and why that may have happened with the, um, the quickly following on his heels reporting that Fred Van Vliet had to undergo surgery for ligament damage in his left thumb. He is going to miss about five weeks. We're one week into that. So Jeremy Lin pops right in, can be a, a big part of their guard rotation. And not only is that a, a big gain for Toronto to have another capable piece there, but it every other point guard needy team lost the best option that could have potentially been on the table. Yeah, another one that I, I thought could have helped it in Philly. I think he would have been a big upgrade for them in a lot of matchups over TJ McConnell, who of course is so challenged from a shooting perspective. Lynn helps a lot now. He, I think you could very easily see him get some minutes alongside Van Vliet. Certainly not the defender or shooter that Van Vliet is, but still a strong right-handed driver, quality backup point guard option. A guy who has experience playing in two point guard units, which is something he did with the Hornets back in 2016. So it'll be interesting to see how much he plays once Van Vliet comes back. I think Van Vliet is clearly a superior option, but if 
the lost right as a, a second unit guy. I mean, you really need that second ball handler if you're going to have Kawhi and Cal Lowry both out of the game at the same time. So Lynn does provide that option. Remains to be seen how effective he can really be in the playoffs, but certainly to get some insurance for Van Vliet and get some insurance for Lowry as well. Both those guys are not the healthiest. We said that one of the downsides, although still a trade I think we would have made, uh, in acquiring Gasol and giving up Wright was that depth at point guard, which they had a need for. And obviously they had a need for it because Van Vliet went down, but they managed to pick up Lynn uh, and they were able to offer him the immediate playing time and that apparently is what swayed him and the initial reporting had been that he would not be getting a buyout from Atlanta. Atlanta now converting the contract of Jalen Adams who has shown a few flashes but he's very undersized at point guard but he'll have a chance uh, now to get some backup point guard minutes. We may see DeAndre Bembry play there as well for the Hawks going forward. So much more to get to here uh, as we bring it back in post-trade deadline. But I want to tell you about Indochino, who outfitted me in a tux and my groomsmen in sport jackets for my wedding. The wedding certainly one of the better days of my life, and, and Indochino helped make it so by getting me a perfect fitting outfit. I actually went into their stylist and got measured in their showroom in San Francisco. They have one. I think they're up to like 14 markets, I want to say. A lot of NBA cities. Or you can measure yourself at home. And they have a tutorial at Indochino.com on how to do that. If you're like me and off-the-rack suits really just don't fit you very well. I've had a number of people, friends uh, in NBA media friends elsewhere who had struggled to find suits that fit them and getting one custom made really was a game changer for them and not only that you're not now limited to whatever they happen to have on the rack at the store you can choose your fabric colors design customizations like the lapel the lining the pockets the buttons a monogram and you get it in a couple of weeks from Indochina. it's really no longer than it would take if you get it altered at the department store and I think it looks a lot better, especially when you consider that Indochino suits are just $359 when you enter that familiar cap space code at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit with free shipping at Indochino.com. Enter that cap space code to get any premium suit for just $359. Try out a custom suit if you haven't tried it yet. It's just so much better. You're not going to go back to regular off-the-rack suits after this and don't forget that cap space code let them know that you came from us so let's catch up uh, on a little more news here wanted to start with not a ton of extra detail from this but the nba has submitted to the national basketball players association a formal proposal to lower the draft eligible eligible age to 18 reporting there by jeff zilgit of usa today sports and it appears that the sticking point here is going to be who has to give something back if anyone, as Woj reported back in October that what the NBA was going to propose is that agents can have less power over the draft process where it's unclear exactly what form this would have, but players entering the draft would be required to provide medical reports, show up at the combine, not play five on five necessarily, but at least be there. And clearly there's going to be pushback on that the weirdness of the draft system to just be told where you have to play and not be able to control that. This is the one thing that players and agents can do to help determine their destinations. It does seem like the tenor of the talks are that this is going to get done. It seems like both sides want it to get done. 
certainly the news that Zion Williamson, although it sounds like he's going to be okay with a mild knee sprain, uh, grade one, which I would imagine probably means an MCL issue after he blew through his Nike shoe and injured himself in that Duke Carolina game last night. Put a little bit of a spotlight in this, although the reporting was careful to indicate that it was purely coincidental that this news came out today. So both sides want this to happen. I think it's going to, my prediction is going to be that the NBA is not going to force significant concessions in terms of getting these guys to provide more information but we'll see we will if there is any delay in terms of implementation that is going to be the issue because obviously the the agents want to retain a level of control over the process and but it is good that there is some movement towards this and we'll see if the contours have shifted from the reporting that existed a few months ago on it but I, i as a firm supporter of the age limit dropping to 18 anything moving in that direction is a positive another brief little league-wide note the nba and fiba are going to launch a 12-team africa league in 2020 that's very exciting there will be a tournament to qualify into the league and there will be no more than two teams from any country travel will be a massive logistical thing with this league just because of how gigantic the continent of africa is but just having that support from the nba and from fiba i'm excited to see where it goes and yeah. getting more so, infrastructure so it's gonna be professional teams to, yes to be clear yes yeah so that's cool and and we'll we'll see what happens with it and you know we have numerous successful african-born players in the nba right now including joel Embiid of cameroon and so we'll, we'll see where where it goes from here but i'm i'm excited about it and let's do some returns uh, uh there are a lot of them that have happened isaiah thomas played about 10 minutes in the Denver's final game before the All-Star break. Gary Harris, it looks like he will return on Friday, which means that considering they've been the walking wounded this whole year, Trey Lyles is the only guy in the Denver rotation that might not be back for Friday's game. So very good for them. Clint Capella returned on Thursday in Houston's loss to the LA Lakers. He played 33 minutes, had 12 and 11. But it is a little concerning that Amon Shepard is going to get a couple of days of rest in addition to the All-Star break, which was just concluded. Yeah, according to his agent, Happy Walters uh, and Kelly Eco of The Athletic, the knee is fine and just needs a couple days of rest, but it's not like he's had a totally healthy knee his entire career. I mean, going back to that ACL tear that he had on the first day of the playoffs in 2012 as a Nick, he's really had his career derailed the last couple of years since he signed that big contract in Cleveland by lower body maladies. He's had his minutes very carefully managed, even in Sacramento, missing back-to-backs quite often. And while Shumpert, in theory, does help the Rockets and provides a, a defensive element that they're lacking, has shot the ball reasonably well this year, his availability is another reason that, uh, or his potential lack of availability, is another reason that he was deemed expendable by the Kings, another team that was attempting it to make a, a playoff push. So hopefully he's going to be all right. One of my favorite players went to my high school, the only NBA player from Oak Park River Forest High School in the NBA right now. But a little bit of a concern there given his history and, as you mentioned, the fact that he's already had a week off. Let's jump to a couple of other signings I think are interesting stories. We don't have to go into too much detail. Chris Boucher, who was a two-way player on the Warriors last year and now a two-way player on the Toronto Raptors this year, he not only was brought up to a full NBA contract, but the Raptors gave him $125,000 of guaranteed salary 
for next season, for the 2019-20 season. There is, of course, significant uncertainty in terms of who else will be on the Toronto Raptors, but giving him guaranteed money means that it's very, it's much more likely that Boucher will be around. And Bruno Caboclo, who had two 10-day contracts with the Memphis Grizzlies, he signed a multi-year deal that includes this season and, and next season. We do not know if there's any, at least I don't know as of this point, if there's any guaranteed money for next season on it, but good to see Bruno really make the most of his two 10-day contracts and stick on the Grizzlies. Boucher, remember, played last year in the Warriors system on a two-way. It was unceremoniously dumped after this year or coming into this year has put up very good numbers in the G League, but a big reason why he was signed was because Toronto had so few players. I'm sure they would have loved to have just signed some 10 days for luxury tax reasons and then tried to get into the buyout market. But instead, they didn't even have enough players to sign guys to 10-day contracts because the CBA foresaw that perhaps teams would just try to do this 10-day dance. And so you have to have enough actual full NBA contracts and you can't sign guys to a non-guaranteed contract after that league-wide cutdown date. So their only choice was to sign him to a rest-of-season contract, and that ended up hurting them from a, a luxury tax perspective. In Phoenix, uh, TJ Warren is out still uh, with the, that ankle sprain. They got beat by the Cavs, who saw Kevin Love uh, make his first significant contributions. Love had a double-double with 16 and 11, played about 20 minutes. And he says he does not plan to miss any more games. We'll see how many minutes he's actually going to play. We'll see whether he plays down the end of games. Cleveland is certainly very much locked into being a, um, one of probably the bottom four teams. I don't think the Hawks are necessarily in that mix any longer. Tristan Thompson remains on the shelf with a left foot injury. But it will be interesting to see whether Cleveland remains as bad as they've been now that Love is returning. I mean, if you look at those teams, he's clearly has the best history of any of those bottom four teams or any player on those bottom four teams and so he could actually make a difference for Cleveland and remember there are some who predicted Cleveland could be in the playoff picture with a healthy love I still don't believe that would have been the case but he is still a, a very good player and also really interesting to watch what ends up happening going into the summer whether he looks like he could be a value at least in the first couple of years of that extension that kicks in making about 30 million per season over the next four this summer and while it has been well discussed that the lottery odds are balanced for the bottom three teams in terms of their odds of getting each of the first couple picks in the draft the difference between those slots is actually more prominent in terms of the downside risk so basically and so there really is a difference it's not as nearly as severe as it has been in prior years but there is a difference between being the worst record second third and and so we'll see if those teams matter and something i've brought up before in terms of tanking is that the real issue sometimes is it's the comparison of the incentives. So if you reduce one side, that's still that 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 is a reduction, but it still is better than, you know, if you're not trying to win anyway, you know, like, okay, well, we'd still rather lose than win. So you go in those directions and how these teams massage that, especially with the league looking at it more closely. And it's, it's going to be fun to, to see how aggressively those teams go at it, especially the ones who have a greater disconnect between there are good players and their development players because like for example the Suns you know Devin Booker is one and, and DeAndre Ayton are talented players who if they're on the floor they're more likely to win but for teams like Cleveland the choices are a little bit more stark so I'm going to be keeping an eye on how the voice handles that situation <laughs> so 
To put this in perspective a little bit, and a lot of people have been talking, as you alluded to, about the idea that, well, the odds of getting the number one overall pick are the same for the top two teams, 14%, and then you go down to the top to the fourth team, Chicago, that only goes down to 12.5%, not a huge difference. But if you're one of the top three worst teams, you only have a 52% chance of being in the top four. And so if you don't capitalize on that, shouldn't say capitalize because it's luck, but if you're not in the top four, then that's where that downside risk comes into play. You have this default, right? If you're Phoenix, you have a 52% chance of being in the top four, but then you have a 47.9% chance of being below that, most likely fifth. If you're New York sitting in the quote-unquote two seed right now again same odds of being in the top four but you're most likely looking at six if you're not in the top four and so to the difference between phoenix if you don't get in the top four most likely being five versus chicago who's the four seed 48 percent chance of being in the top four but then if you're not in the top four could end up a lot lower than phoenix would now there's a little bit of, of risk mitigated there because probably one of those if not more of those teams above you are going to jump into the top four. And so then you'll have sort of the inside track to get five or six or seven because those teams that finished the worst record than you probably just bumped into the top four anyway. So the downside risk isn't that bad, but it still is not great. So it, it, it does matter here what the order is, even if it's not necessarily about getting the number one pick. It's more, as you mentioned, about limiting the downside risk. But I wanted to elaborate on that because I think that's something that maybe hasn't been talking about, talked about enough. And someone who worked for a team reminded me of that fact. So I uh, wanted to get on that. Um, what else we got here? Well, we can talk about Nikola Mirotic returning to active NBA play. Remember, he had missed time as a Pelican and then as a Buck with a cap strain. He had eight points in 13 minutes in their eke out win over the Boston Celtics. Also, something we, we talked about with some of these new additions, how does it affect the rest of their rotation? DJ Wilson, who has had a, a breakout year, didn't play at all in this game. And we know some people are going to lose out in Boonholzer's rotation. That's just the way it works when you have a bunch of talented players. Ilyasova still played plenty. And so I thought Miritic really did bring something. I mean, he's confident shooting threes. He was two of six in this game, but you have to respect him out there. I think that did keep things open. And while, you know, Lopez... I, I'm getting Pelton, Ken Pelton and I talked about this on last week's Real GM Radio. I'm getting more confident that he can play in a lot of matchups. Just having another look is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's going to be interesting. Ilyasova played 12 minutes. He was effective with nine points uh, on four of four plus 13 in that game against Boston. But they do have so many looks that, that they can go with now. Go a little bit bigger. Maybe play Wilson. Don't play Sterling Brown or Tony Snell as much. Boston is a very wing-heavy team. So that might be where, why you saw Wilson not play as much. And maybe he'll play more in different matchups. For Boston, Gordon Hayward sprained his ankle playing one-on-one. -on -one, did not play. He'd had some pretty nice games going into the break. A lot of those driven by hot shooting. I think it's still going to take a, a lot more to convince me that he's not in the path to being back to the player he was. But certainly actually putting up some numbers was encouraging. But a, a brief setback for Hayward and certainly anything ankle related for either ankle even is somewhat of a concern. And uh, you wanted to talk about the critical news that Frank Kaminsky will not be bought out with the Hornets, it appears. Yeah, I, I cracked up a little bit. Sean Devaney of the Sporting News had this, that basically 
due to Bismack Biombo's knee being concerning to the Hornets, they are reluctant to cut Kaminsky loose because they might need him. And my point there would be there are better centers available on the buyout market than Frank Kaminsky. I mean, Frank, I don't think Frank Kaminsky is particularly good. So even if you need another center, you can wait because remember, this is their third string guy now that Cody Zeller's back at Zeller, Hernan Gomez, and then either Biombo or Frank Kaminsky. So that is not the way that I would be handling it, especially if Kaminsky is willing to leave any money on the table. But I don't know if he is. That's one thing I want to mention. Somebody well, who, well, and, and do you think their tax situation is stalling these negotiations as well? It very well could be, yeah, because that is true that adding another player, you know, if they theoretically had to replace Kaminsky with another center, that money would go on top of Kaminsky, who probably would not be leaving much money on the table. That could be a factor in it as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Another center, Salah Meshri, was waived. I was surprised that I mentioned that on our show before the break that he was not claimed. However, he is going to go right back to the Mavs and actually pocket an extra $531,000. As Albert Namad noted, they had to waive him just to create the necessary roster spot to complete the trade with the Kings, which was a two-for-one. Concerning news out of Indiana, they did pick up a new starting shooting guard in West Matthews, but Tyreek Evans may need an MRI on an ankle he injured before the All-Star break. He's been limited at practice. Afterwards, you saw the Kings and Warriors in person today. Any takeaways from that game? I thought the way that Sacramento ran their rotation against Golden State was pretty interesting. It was, and it was different than what they did. I mean, they didn't have a long period after the deadline, but before the All-Star break. They started Harrison Barnes at power forward, so it was Fox, Heald, and Bogdanovich all together, plus Harrison Barnes. Nemanja Bielitsa didn't play at all. I don't know if there's something going on with Bielitsa, but they went with that lineup. The Warriors starters did outplay them together, but that's not a surprise that the Warriors starters. And DeMarcus Cousins is not on a minutes limit anymore. He only played 27. He had some good moments, some bad moments, bad moments mostly on the defensive end. Not really a big surprise there. And I thought Marvin Bagley, you know, he, he ended up with a huge scoring night. I mean, 28 points, 8 of 19 from the field, 11 of 14 from the line. And his aggressiveness really, really did help. I'm very interested in, in how the Kings kind of, how their front office interprets what happens the rest of this season. I think that's something to keep an eye on. Also, the Kings ended up losing all four of their games against the Warriors this year by a combined total of 12 points, which is pretty ridiculous. And it happens. They've all, all four of them been very fun. I've seen, I saw three of them in person and some of my favorite games of the year. We can move on to another game that was close late in the Pacific time zone. The Lakers do not have Lonzo Ball available. He is still not practicing in week five of the four to six week timetable that was originally given out with his ankle sprain. But fortunately, after a PRP injection, Josh Hart is is back. He played 19 minutes on Thursday, and that PRP injection was to help treat tendonitis in his left knee. So he is back, and the Lakers got a big win. Yeah, they trailed by 13 in the third quarter, and it looked like they're going to go down. In fact, Houston had been playing well. I thought they did a pretty nice job on Harden, although those charges late, I mean, the two that he got both of them after he released the ball one was on a floater and then one was on a pass and crash I mean for those to be the fouls five and six in a critical game on national TV I mean, that just can't be what fans want to see unless you're a Laker fan and there are a lot of those fix the charge Memphis Kyle Anderson continuing his difficult season is going to have an MRI on his sore sh- shoulder 
And Jaron Jackson is questionable for Friday with a right quad injury. And I only mentioned that because he already missed a game right at the beginning of February with that. And again, this is one of those ones where if you come back from the break and you have this injury, like, well, he's had a week off here and this isn't better. So that's a, a little bit of a concern. Memphis obviously moving into tanktastic mode and be interesting to watch Mike Conley's minutes as we go into the break here. I mean, we only have really, what, 25 games or so left for most teams at this time. Good news for Miami, though. Goran Dragic available to play, but he did not appear in their loss to Philly, a four-pointer on the road. Eric Spolstra saying he will work him back in slowly. Remember, Tyler Johnson was moved. Perhaps the return of Dragic is part of why Miami was willing to do that. Saving money was also part of why... They're willing to do that. And then James Johnson, who has really struggled this year, Marie re- returned from that core surgery pretty late, has struggled to score this year, been in and out of the starting lineup, but hasn't really been effective regardless of the role. He hurt his left shoulder in that game and didn't return. So that's going to be something to monitor as well. A team that we're not really sure how they're going to approach the rest of the season. The Clippers, a couple of just little catch-up notes with them. Michael Beasley, who they cut, signed in China. Milos Teodosic is not going to play the rest of this season. He will play for the Serbian national team, and then he will do something over the summer. We don't know whether that will be in Europe or in the United States. I'm guessing that will depend on the quality of the offers that he receives, but he is an unrestricted free agent, so that's good for him that he doesn't have to deal with that whole drama that would have happened with the Clippers or whoever else. Uh, No, he will be a restricted free agent. No, because he got cut. Oh, no one, no, no one has his rights. Yeah. Oh, oh, I didn't realize. That yeah, they, he, he and Gortat both got cut. cut so. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, all right. I, I, oh, I, another guy who's better than Frank Kaminsky. <laughs> one of many. Um, and Luke Richard um, yeah. and Bob Mute, who has had a completely lost season, is likely to return to practice soon. We'll see when he can come back. You know, And again, we don't exactly know what this Clippers team is going to be. I, I've never really seen a team that has the just the lottery protection on a pick use that as the reason they don't make the playoffs maybe it's just you play out the string you see where you go but it's just not as big of a disappointment if you don't make it so uh, more to get to here i want to tell you about a new sponsor cavo c-a-a-v-o my wife and i so many times we've got subscriptions to all the major services when we're watching tv we're like oh what service is that on and then we have to google it It takes like five minutes to figure out where we should stream this show or movie that we want to watch so the cavo control center simplifies home theater so now you're able to control everything connected to your tv with one remote and that remote has voice control as well so you plug in anything you want to stream your sound system cable or satellite even a game console and Control Center finds what you need. You don't have to fiddle with different remotes anymore. You don't have to weed through messy search results. Just tell it what you want to watch and it will handle the rest. So enjoy every second of couch time. You don't have that weird moment where you sit down and then you're on your phones for five minutes trying to figure out where it is that you can find what you want to watch. If you shop now, you can get 40% off Control Center with that familiar cap space code. Easy to remember. That's the promo code cap space. It's only $59.95. That's 40% off the regular pricing. There is a service plan required, but you get your first 45 days free to check it out before you have to pay for that service plan. The way to find it is at cavo.com, C-A-A-V-O.com, and Best Buy. Control Center by Cavo is one remote that does it all. It's very Lord of the Rings-like, isn't it? One remote to rule them all. I really am part conflicted about whether I should say in one remote to find them. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think you're more of a Lord of the Rings guy than I am. Not that I have anything against it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not. Uh, it's actually one of the few situations where I thought the movie was better than the books. I'm sure that's probably sacrilege to a lot of people, but like, I don't need like four pages of the exact lyrics of this Elven song for Tolkien. And I thought at the time, I mean, certainly the special effects have been topped since, you know, 2001 to 2003. But at the time, it was one of the few movies that actually like outdid my imagination when I was reading the books. So, because generally I prefer the book to the movie. Also, are you, uh, do you like watching the movie first or reading the book first? Like if you have a choice. It's interesting. I, I think for me, if I really like the book, I much prefer reading the book first because then I can I can envision it my own way. Even though it does a lot of times I'm ended I end up disappointed in the movie, but that's just kind of the way it works out. But yeah, I guess I guess I'm usually book before movie. Even though doing it that way, you know, there are limitations. But yeah, I mean, y- you get all that and. Yeah, I guess that's the way I am. I have done it the other way in the past. I think I like the movie first because the book provides more information. And so if I know the general plot already from the movie, I can still be learning more from the book. I'm still interested. Whereas the movie, it's kind of like truncated compared to the book. You're not really going to be surprised. And you're always just kind of like, all right, how are they going to screw this up? Like, how are they going to cut corners? Because, you know, a movie just can't transmit as much information as the book. There's kind of the downside of, well, you see the actor's from the movie when you imagine the scenes in your mind as you're reading the book but that's not the end of the world i'm kind of lazy i wouldn't mind just like substituting the actors faces in any way instead of having to imagine what they look like from the description all right back to basketball uh, you're not here to listen to me opine about this uh, any longer disturbing news out of philly where joel Embiid will now miss the next week due to a sore left knee there was good that they were able to beat miami without him an mri showed no structural damage but that knee is the same one on which he had surgery a couple of years ago ended his rookie season after he had missed the first two years obviously but the first year in which he actually played it technically his rookie season he had that torn meniscus in his left knee to where he wasn't able to even return you'll recall to five on five until just the start of last season so that's not a great sign especially because he'd really had had been playing back-to-backs had had a very high minutes workload at least they've got enough star power now to keep it going but they don't have a ton of great big men on this team behind Embiid either at the moment here it, then, it sounds yeah. like you did not watch Boban tonight <laughs> Bobans, he had. I think he had something like fourteen and eight in the first in the first quarter, but he ended up with nineteen and twelve. Yeah, well, going against Hassan Whiteside, that's a good matchup for Boban. It is. Yeah, he he had nineteen points, uh, six of seven from the field. Yeah, but and some other concerning news out of Philly, Furkan Korkmaz. It's always weird when these things come out like right after the All Star break. He has a torn meniscus. He is out indefinitely. That is unfortunate. He's had some really nice moments, even after getting that option declined. And it also sounds like Zaire Smith is not going to play for the big squad this season. He is in Delaware at the moment, playing you know in the in the G League, but. It is yeah, I don't to... think he's actually playing games there. Oh yeah, he's just he's practicing. Just, no, yeah, yeah, that's why. That's uh, sorry. He's I just starting to that. do like some on court work. Yeah. I don't know that he's even so, close right now. We'll we'll see. I mean, the Sixers are used to guys missing a season with a foot issue, so hopefully they can they can react to that and yeah. and I, get him back in full for for next season when he could be a useful part of the rotation. I mean, we don't know exactly what the Sixers are going to look like, but Zaire Smith can be a part of that. A, a piece of positive news. Oh, oh quick, quickly, Cork Maz. Sure, we don't know what. Kind 
kind of surgery he's going to have yet. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that he had that option declined, so he will be unrestricted this summer. If he just has the meniscus trim, even at that point, unlikely he comes back to be a part of the rotation, but he could at least be healthy by the summer. Whereas if he has the repair, arguably better for his long-term future. But that's a four to six monther, and you know that could impact his free agent market uh, this offseason as well. Speaking of impacting their free agent market, Thomas Bryant has now met the starter criteria, something that Bobby Marks had. I think he did that right before the break. And Bryant is among the players where that makes a really big difference because that raises not only his qualifying offer, which is an offer of a guaranteed contract, but it also raises his capital. That matters more to the Wizards now than it did before. Probably doesn't just because it looks like they're going to function as an over-the-cap team anyway. They do have John Wall in that mega deal and then Bradley Beal, assuming he's still on the roster going in you know later on in the offseason you have that so I I assume Thomas Bryant will be there but good for him to to get that extra you know that extra amount on the qualifying offer and also Dwight Howard is returning to DC to start his on-court work we don't know anything really in terms of a timeline there even though they do still have a decent shot of making the playoffs 538 gives them 14 percent my instinct is that the Wizards don't make it in and they can be as patient as they want with Dwight because he has a player option and we'll see what he decides on that (laughs) yeah be interesting Brian as well as he's played you imagine that they would give him that qualifying offer but you know I'm not sure he would get much more of a, an offer on a yearly basis than that three million Markel Fultz reiterated on Thursday as did Jeff Weltman of the Magic that he is without any kind of a timetable to return and they won't rush his rehab process and that of course makes sense although he is no longer actually in LA doing his thoracic outlet syndrome rehab, but the Magic clearly want to wrap their minds around this situation. The longer it goes without him trying to play again, the more likely it seems to me that you know maybe that surgery that all those pitchers had where you remove the rib could be coming, but we'll keep an eye on that. What else we got here? The Knicks are getting Emmanuel Moutier back on Friday. We haven't really heard anything on Frank Nokini yet. He, I mean, I think he'll be back soon. We just don't know exactly how soon. Tyus Jones could be back from his ankle sprain on Friday. You know, the, the Timberwolves guard rotation has been just beset by injuries over the last little while and unfortunately they are still going to be beset with Robert Covington being out he is doing some limited practice but he's going to still miss a little bit more time this slipped by before the break but Billy Donovan said that Andre Robertson could return this season but the fact that he's still yet to do any on-court work uh, as of before the break Still makes me feel not particularly optimistic about that. And why don't we start here? I wanted to just take stock of some of the key storylines for the rest of the season of the teams that we view as contenders in both conferences. I think Golden State is a good place to start, as you saw them today against Sacramento. And the thing that I wanted to talk about is just continue to say what is Cousins role going to be played 27 minutes tonight doesn't have an official minutes limit Andre Iguodala did close this game against Sacramento Sacramento of course was playing it a, a little smaller trying to make a comeback I still uh, would you agree with me that Andre Iguodala gives them a better chance to win at the end of games than DeMarcus Cousins absolutely yeah I, I think that's clear especially with 
Iguodala having played as well as he has. I mean, now, if Iguodala isn't available, does Kavan Looney give them a better chance to win at the end of games than DeMarcus Cousins? Uh, you know, it's not uh, outside the realm of possibility. I mean, they got plenty of guys who can score on this team, and Cousins gives teams a place to attack defensively. As of now, 538 gives Golden State an 80% chance of making the finals and a 63% chance of winning the NBA finals. How would you rate their chances in regard to those projections? With the 80%, really what you're thinking about is the risk of injury or infectiveness. I mean, they were they were pretty close to getting knocked out last year. I mean, if Chris Paul had stayed healthy, Iguodala was hurt at the same time. But I mean, there isn't a team as good as last year's Rockets, I think, pretty clearly. So I would have that 80% probably a little higher just because I think they could survive one big injury and still make it through. Sure, they could have two, but I mean, that would be a lot. And then the 63% chance of, of winning the overall thing... I could see the team that makes it out of the East, not only are they going to be a very good team in terms of talent, we know that, but they have to have played well to to make it out of the last two series, you know, the, the semifinals and the Easter Conference Finals. So I'm pretty okay with that 63. So if I, I would go I would go over 80, and then I'm pretty good on the 63. Over 80% chance of making it out of the West. I mean, that is a crazy number. Well, that gets into, uh, my, my questions were more big picture, but th- the big thing for me in the Western Conference is, is there a team, and Golden State doesn't count in this because they're, they're part of the positive question, is there a team that I really trust? And trust is something more than like, I think I know what Portland is, but that I that I think can really put a scare into the Warriors that has that really high ceiling and a reasonable path of getting there. So this isn't, you know, OKC if they hit all their threes or something like that, but it's like, okay, this is the theory of the team. This is how they're going to do it. Because as of right now, you know, like there, there are teams that have talent, the Lakers included among them, if they can make the playoffs, but who really, who do, who can I trust even against other teams that aren't the Warriors? And right now, you know, like Denver's played well you know Houston and Utah have had their moments OKC has obviously had theirs too and that's going to be something I'm watching really closely over the final 25 games yeah obviously for Houston Chris Paul's performance is the number one variable yeah one of his better games of the season tonight against the Lakers even in a loss and I thought even before the break he looked just a little bit bouncier a little bit more spry hopefully they'll be able to keep his minutes down out even since he returned from this latest injury I don't think they've done a great job of that they've never done a great job of that but that's the number one thing to me I think if he can get back to even you know lower end all-star level not I think the superstar ship may have sailed for him at this point but if he can get back to a lower end all-star level I mean this is a guy remember who put up 40 points in the closeout game against Utah just a a year ago had some great moments against the Warriors so I felt that his performance in that series on offense at least was a, a little bit overrated I think he still gives Houston the highest ceiling of any non-Warriors team in the Western Conference so that's what I'm watching for in Houston how are you feeling about the Lakers at this point is are their woes overstated they have a very difficult schedule they have a lot of talent LeBron looked a little bit better tonight at a big dunk it's tough I I was on the the official Lakers podcast uh recorded that I think on Tuesday and I picked them to be the eight seed and you know that is a that is a tough call I mean there are a lot of teams that are in that mix and the Lakers have worse record than a couple of them but 
I mean, they're, I, I, my hope and expectation is that they will have LeBron James for a higher proportion of the closing kick than they ha- than they did for the other part. And they're getting some of these other guys back who can be important supporting players. We'll see what the timeline is with Lonzo. I do think that they're going to miss him on both ends of the floor while he's out. But, you know, if they can get Josh Hart looking more like himself and Rondo's missed time and everything else. So I think they're getting closer to it. And Bullock can help them as well. He, he was took all of his shots from three tonight, and the Lakers have a use for guys like that. So I want to watch them. Yeah, I want to watch them on defense. I think that's the more important part here. I mean, LeBron teams, as long as he's on the floor, I think a lot of the offensive stuff will sort itself out. But can they defend? Do they get back in transition? Do they play? How often do they play like they give a shit? And how often do they lose that mojo? You know, do they just kind of like a game gets away from them in the first half? Like that's happened a couple times with them. And that's always concerning when, when it happens. Yeah, Muscala out for them uh, with an ankle injury. And, and you'll recall last year, Muscala missed a ton of time with an ankle injury when he played for the Hawks, which seems like a, a lifetime ago. The closing unit was very interesting. No point guard at, at all. They did not close with Rondo. Josh Hart was actually plus 22. He was out there. So Kuzma, LeBron, Ingram, Bullock, and Hart close it out against a Houston team we saw the the Lakers be pretty effective down the end held Houston to an ugly 16 points in the fourth quarter a lot of that with that unit down the end now LeBron had to play 40 minutes Kuzma 38 Ingram 41 that's not amazing but that player usage to get one more guy now in Bullock they've still got Caldwell Pope and Hart off the bench we didn't see much of Lance Stevenson we'll see how much of Lonzo there is once we get back they've really tanked on defense since he left but I thought they defended very well against Houston although Houston did shoot it extremely poorly from three I mean is there any chance the Lakers get out of the eighth seed I mean they are projected to finish four games behind the seventh projected seed the Spurs at 45 games Lakers projected to finish at 41 uh but you know obviously the Lakers can play a lot better than they have so far and change that projection any chance rule yes i mean san antonio is such a hard team for me to calibrate i could see them being a few games worse than the lakers over the remainder their schedule is meaningfully easier from what i recall but we'll see if they can which how these teams if they can stay healthy and everything else like that so yeah i i think that's a lot to overcome you know especially considering the lakers schedule is tough something that is worth keeping an eye uh, kind of keeping in the back of your mind for the lakers is that they play a lot of good teams at the end of the year they that looks really daunting in the schedule but maybe a couple of those games end up sorting themselves out because the other team doesn't need it and so maybe maybe they're facing like Utah or Portland at the end of the season and they're sitting Donovan Mitchell or Damian Lillard or something because they already have their seed locked up that sort of thing could happen but yeah I mean it, it, it's going to be tough for them and the Lakers do like they have like Sacramento and and the Clippers those teams play a fair amount of games against each other so if any one team does really well in those games that gives them a pretty significant leg up Oklahoma City to me, the question is just whether Paul George can continue to shoot this well. Is he going to be this 40% three-point shooter uh, on the most attempts per game of his career? I mean, he's just he gets a smaller guy on him and he just bombs it right over him every time. We've seen George's jump shooting wax and wane. His value is very dependent on whether those tough contested jumpers go in. The fact that more of them are threes certainly helps him uh, this year. 
But OKC's offense could struggle without these absolutely Herculean efforts from him. And then obviously is Russell Westbrook going to be able to hit a jump shot or a free throw as well? I think like those two guys, is the ball going to go in for them? I think for most of their other perimeter guys, the answer is probably no <laughs> in a lot of cases. But if those two guys can shoot it well enough, maybe they look like the favorite to oppose Golden State. And as well as they've played... They're projected right now to finish three games ahead of the Jazz, who are looking at fourth place. It looks like it's going to be a big fight between the Jazz, Rockets, and Blazers for who can get fourth place. Although, perhaps sixth place might actually have more appeal for some of those teams than fourth or fifth place, because that means you play the Warriors in the second round. You could avoid them if you get to sixth place. Got a tougher first round matchup? Probably, but maybe not much depends on what you think of the Nuggets uh, or the Thunder but it looks like the Nuggets and Thunder unless those teams have a significant setback looks like they're going to be able to avoid the Warriors until the conference finals and so if that's the case then maybe the Thunder can start to look like the favorites to make it to the conference finals so much is going to depend on just staying out of that 4-5 bracket where you got to play the Warriors in the second round and Jazz, Rockets, I mean, those those two teams, I think both of those teams could conceivably make it to the conference finals just as easily as the Nuggets or Thunder. The Blazers, I wouldn't quite put in that category. But you got to just not be in the 4-5. And so that's uh we could see some very strategic moves especially i could see the rockets really i mean they are so warriors focused uh, trying to stay out of there down the end along those lines that also if if the line of division of 538's projection and the current loss totals end up being right that also puts a lot of heat on the nuggets thunder if those two teams are competing for the two seed because the loser of that two three battle should that be what happens they play a much superior six seed to the seven if that ends up being San Antonio you know San Antonio is a good matchup against certain teams and then that gets into with Denver I mean Denver is such a such an interesting team because we still don't really know exactly what they are they haven't had their starting five together for very long and as a, a good note here since January 1st the Nuggets are 8th in net rating, you know, 8th in net rating, especially considering the injuries they've had is very good, but that is 2nd in offense, 23rd in defense. So they did much better defensively early in the season. So my, my kind of big question with them is, who are the Denver Nuggets, and what is their playoff rotation going to look like? You know, like had the stuff with Isaiah and Monty Morris and everything else. Yeah, Will Barton at the 3, how much is Torrey Craig going to get used? A lot of that's going to be really interesting. I, I think given their playoff inexperience and just some of the specific weaknesses, certainly they have a lot of players with a lot of strengths, but they don't really have, I mean, if you look at their team, who are the guys who are like, oh, these guys are bulletproof on either end? Not many. So that's a, that to me does not bode well in the playoffs when you throw in the inexperience of both their team, their youth, and their coach. You would expect... And the fact that they have just you know, have already been a little bit lucky relative to their point differential so far this year. Granted, with some injuries, I mean, maybe these guys are just going to be so good offensively that it's not going to matter. And I do think they have matchup advantages uh, over certain teams. But yeah, that, that's going to be really interesting to see what happens there. And if the Lakers were to somehow make it to the seven seed and the Nuggets stay in the two, I mean, the, the Lakers making it to the seven seed would mean that they started playing pretty well. I could see myself favoring the Lakers in that series. Let's, let's shift it to the East now. 
Sure. I wanted to talk a little bit about Ben Falk's article today, which is really, I mean, he does some of the most groundbreaking stuff. I know everyone was tweeting about how awesome this is, so hopefully this isn't redundant. But he talked about how is Milwaukee's defense so good when they give up so many threes. And we've touched on some of these issues before, one of the ones being that, well, when you don't give up shots at the rim, you don't give up any offensive rebounds. And they also force misses at the rim as well. But generally, I mean, they're on pace to give up the fewest shots at the rim of any team in quite some time. But one thing that Ben talked about is, especially in half-court situations, because the league level of offense has risen, giving up above-the-break threes to relatively subpar shooter, he, he couches a 33% shooter, that's actually not the end of the world anymore, especially when you're also not fouling and you're not giving up shots off of offensive rebounds and you're not giving up shots at the rim that if the trade-off there is letting guys who are 33 percent shooters fire away from above the break that's not the end of the world and he also noted that there's some statistical evidence that they are doing a good job of forcing guys who aren't as good as shooters to shoot above the break three-pointers and statistical research overall had indicated that you know just giving up more threes is generally a bad thing and that teams don't necessarily affect their opponent's three-point percentage that much and what Ben shows no actually they are forcing worse shooters to take these shots and they know who to leave and they've scouted it out really well but has always been a, a good defensive coach so that's that's just a summary of that article worth reading for sure obviously worth subscribing there we do it we cite his stats all the time but that's really interesting and one of the questions i have and we've noted schematically in addition to this idea of leaving open bad shooters what they've been doing in their base defense to stop teams with just a a ton of helping not even letting them get all the way to the rim and attack brook lopez will that work in the playoffs giving up that many threes if you're going against good teams and you're giving do they do good teams not have as many bad shooters yeah you know boston philly toronto eh, those guys those teams all have some kind of questionable shooters especially if they're above the break so maybe that strategy can work and then also this is something that uh, dean Mannion noted that the bucks have an incredible net rating when they've played switching defense he's actually has hand tracked that and it hasn't been for that long think his stats were a 60.4 net rating in 58 minutes while in a base switching defense so that's pretty good we'll see whether they go to that more in the playoffs whether the strategy of giving up as many threes as they do they give up the most threes in the league can work as well as in the regular season but the bucks remain one of the more fascinating teams as they have been throughout the Giannis era what are some other things you're looking for here in the east well i have one more for the bucks which is oh, yeah? can they keep their shot proportion going so milwaukee is second in effective field goal percentage despite only being in the top half of the league in one real big zone and that's at the rim they're 67 percent of the rim it's not a surprise Giannis is putting up ridiculous numbers there and the reason why is because they're not taking any mid-range shots and so them not being as effective on those isn't as big a deal taking a ton at the rim taking a lot of threes and being a league average team at the three-point line and then dominating at the rim like they do if they can keep that going for the last for the stretch run i'll be more confident not 100 confident but more confident that they can do it moving forward can jump to 
to Philly, I think with Philly, I have two kind of big sections of questions. One is, can their, it looks like we know what their starting and closing five is going to be, is like, can they, can they basically make that mix work? And that's, you know, offense, defense, everything else. I mean, unfortunately, Embiid's missing this first week, but they should hopefully have enough time with those guys together. But then the second question, which I think is under, it's it's not being reported as much just because of the excitement of, of Tobias Harris and everything else, is just who the hell else is in their playoff rotation? I mean, whether it's eight guys, nine guys, or 10 guys, they're going to need players from this bench. It sounds to me like TJ McConnell will be one of those guys. But figuring this out, I mean, Shamit's gone now, the center position you know, is still in flux. I mean, maybe it seems like Brett Brown is more committed to Boban, but I'm fascinated to see who is good enough to be in their playoff rotation. Again, we haven't heard word one about him potentially getting bought out, but Avery Bradley seems like a potential fit there. I mean, he he's been, had been rumored to go there this last summer on some massive contract, ended up just not playing well enough to merit that and re-signing with the Clippers. But that does seem like a logical fit there at this point in time. But not a ton else out there on the market, and it's not even clear that Bradley will even be available. Toronto, certainly the health of Van Vliet is going to be something to watch, whether OG Ananobi is going to play more. It looks like with the acquisition of Gasol that the idea of playing Siakam at center where they had some effectiveness in those days after the trade and when they've had injuries with him. That's a look we've wanted to see more of despite its rebounding deficiencies. Probably not going to see that now, but you know whether they try starting Gasol, whether they leave him in this bench role and how much they're really going to run through him as well to get a little bit more of a passing game going giving them a little bit more of that elbow action that's gonna be really interesting to watch i have another one yeah Yeah. offensive pace sure not broadly you know rest of season number and then how is it different when Kawhi's on the floor marcus all those two guys together can they do the kind of bicameral idea of what you you can have one identity you run it a little bit harder when maybe when Kawhi's not on the floor when marcus all's not on the floor and then how does that reconcile with where marcus all plays in the rotation now if you're going to play a certain way with Kawhi, it might actually make more sense to play marcus all in those minutes offensively because if you're already going to be a little bit slower then you can kind of work within that and then you can run harder the other minutes so how Nick Nurse squares that circle is going to be just a huge story with the Raptors because another team kind of like Milwaukee and a few of these that has a lot of talent but who they play and when is exceedingly important yeah in Boston it's just how good are these guys going to play Hayward's health I mean they, they didn't make as many changes at the trade deadline so I don't have it that much new to say about them at, at will this Bra- point. Will Brad Stevens continue to play Garrison Yabusele in random moments in time and completely confound me? Because that happened again in their in the Bucks game, and I I was completely confused. All right, well it was good to get back here, catch up uh, on everything, get a little reset. Fifteen and sixty mailbag on the East. Feel free to respond to those tweets if you want to get your question answered. We need them for all fifteen teams in the East, so we'll be doing that on Sunday night. Late Sunday night is one that's going to come out. I want to remind you again that we're sponsored today by Cavo. You can plug in your streamer, sound system, cable, satellite, game console, control everything connected to your TV with one easy-to-use voice-controlled remote. Shop now, get 40% off Control Center with promo code CAPSPACE. Easy to remember, we talk about CAPSPACE all the time on the program. Fifty-nine ninety-five, 40% off the regular pricing. There is a service plan required, but you get your first 45 days of that free. Control Center is available at Cavo.com, C-A-A-V-O.com, and Best Buy. Control Center by Cavo, one remote that does it all.